Welcome to our Hot Rod Bible Study tonight. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4 tonight. Um, and so I'll go through it and read it and then um, we'll pray. So it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct... The brethren in these things you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed but reject profane and old wives fables and exercise yourself towards godliness for bodily exercise profits a little but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading the exhortation to doctrine. Do not neglect the gifts that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Mediate on these, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all take heed to yourself and to the doctrine continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourselves and those who hear you so amen um what a what an amazing uh, every time we go through one of these chapters i, I always uh, and you know it's interesting that as timothy uh, many pastors as uh, young pastors, uh, people that have been in the faith for some time, they oftentimes they go through that. They, you know, oftentimes we wonder what the meetings are about that they get together, and pastors will come together um, and they actually under shepherd uh, people that are young, up and coming pastors in the church. And oftentimes, as they um, get together and they have these, some of these meetings, oftentimes they'll go through the book of Timothy. And so we know that these are the pastoral letters. And so they always want to keep these letters current in what's going on in their lives. And they don't want to get too far off the beaten path. So it's interesting to see. But as we were in chapter three, I just want to recap for some of the people that weren't here. Um, and so one of the things that was interesting about chapter three is that we saw the qualifications that he talked about um, that the bishops, that we talked about the bishops, and we understood that the word that they use, bishop, in the Greek, that it actually means overseer. 
And so these were some of the people that were the elders of the church. These were also people, uh, the, the pastor, of course, of the church that are actually, these are the people that are ministering to the spiritual needs of the church. And so oftentimes we, you know, when we see Bishop, we talked a little bit about uh, last week in our minds, we flash to this guy that's dressed in this garb and he's got this fancy hat. And, you know, we oftentimes think of that. But this is a, a bishop that he was talking about. And we talked about 15 qualifications but one of the biggest things that, uh, that Paul was making it clear to Timothy was his godly, the way that his godly character was. That this should be a man, that somebody that wants to preach and teach the word of God, that wants to be an elder of the church, uh, that wants to be a shepherd, um, that some, any kind of a leadership position, that they would be somebody that would have actually that godly character in their lives. And this should be uh, evident to all people. And, and this shouldn't be something, this wasn't a list. We talked about this last week. It shouldn't be a list that men would look and say, okay, well, I need to obtain to be like this list is. It should be something that is already in their life, working in their life. And so we saw that last week and it was important. Uh, the next thing he gave us qualifications for the deacons. Uh, and the deacons, they actually minister to more of the physical needs of the church. And I know we, uh, we go to the church we go to, and, and oftentimes we don't even, we, no, we don't address anybody as a deacon, but oftentimes the ushers are considered part of the, the deacons because they are also, they minister to actually uh, the actual physical needs of the church. And so we, we saw that, and he talked about the qualifications, and one of the qualifications there was also that their character, that they should have a godly character, um, one of the only things that was a little bit different about the uh, the deacons that they didn't necessarily need to be able to teach. Um, and so we remember that when we went through the overseers, that was one of the things that they really pointed out that they were uh, would be able to teach. And so this wasn't uh, something that necessarily needed. And so as they closed the chapter there in chapter three, um, they called it the great mystery. But there was actually nine truths that they listed. And I'm going to read them tonight. And if you missed them last week, there were nine truths. And all these truths are about Jesus Christ. Um, and so it starts um, there in um, verse uh, 15. Um, and, and I'll just uh, read them briefly. And it's number one is the church of the living God. And so we know that Jesus is living. And so he is in the church. Um, and number two is the pillar of the ground of truth. Um, this is Jesus. Uh, the mystery of godliness. And so the mystery is that once time, at one time he was hidden, uh, but now he had been revealed as Jesus has come into the world. And there number four was God was manifested uh, in, the, in the flesh. And we talked about that last week. Emmanuel, God with us. It's so important that we know that the incarnated Jesus Christ, this incarnated God that came in the flesh down to save his people, to save us. Um, and it's just so important that we see that. And so that's another truth. Um, number five was vindicated in the spirit. Um, number six is seen by angels. Um, number seven is preached among the Gentiles. Number eight was believed on um, in, the in the world. Uh, and number nine was received up in glory. And this was talking about his ascension. And we saw that there in Acts chapter one. And so now we're going to jump in um, and we're going to see that... Um, that Paul, as he continues on his letter, and actually we remember that he is continually talking to Timothy, his protege. And so he is continuing to show his protege what is necessary uh, for, for uh, the conduct of the church. And so this is a very important to Paul. And we remember that this is a letter that he wrote because he, we saw this last week that he had a desire to come to Timothy there in Ephesus, um, but he has not come. And we don't see in any of the uh, pastoral letters that he does come. And so we're going we're gonna to pick it up here, and we're going to see what the Lord has for us tonight. Uh, but before we get to that, let's uh, pray. Um, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Pray. Let's pray. 
So, Father God, we ask, Lord, that, um, that you would be in our study tonight, Lord. We ask that our, our hearts would be open to hear from you tonight, Lord. As the men um, open up their hearts, Father, we pray um, that you would give us comfort and that you would give us understanding. Uh, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and that would teach us tonight, Father. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead, Gus. seems, just reading this, it seems, um, while you were reading, I was thinking, did Paul write this? But it seems like he has a different tone with, with uh, Timothy. It's not, he's not, uh, I don't know, you back, go back to Thessalonians and it's, it's, he's speaking to a group of people where here he's speaking. Yes. It's, it's more addressed to an individual. Yeah, and this yeah. is a thing that's a, a little bit uh, different. And we talked a little bit about this, that, that oftentimes um, as he addressed, um, as Paul addressed the churches, um, we talked about this, that he would often give them grace and peace. Um, uh, but we saw that this time that as he was talking to an individual, um, that he actually told them mercy, grace. And so uh, you're, you're right. His, his tone is a little bit different because I, I think that... Um, it is a, as a church, as he is addressing the church, I think Paul is more loving, more uh, he's he's you know laying it out a little differently than he was is with Timothy. And Timothy here, as he's a young protege, and I think oftentimes as we're uh, in the workplace, and we oftentimes we we I think we're I don't think we're we're mean. Sometimes we're a little more stern with people that are young that are up and coming. Um, we want them to know that, and I think that they can read a lot off of us by our tone. Um, it's something that is oh this is serious and. When they come and we're trying to show them something and we're saying, oh, you know, you can drill a hole here, but you don't always have to drill here, you know, because later on you could do a relief and you could be right here. They're like, oh, it wasn't that serious. But when we say, absolutely, you, you don't drill it anywhere, but drill it right here, then, then they, they get the impression from us, oh, it's, that's important. And so right. I think this is the same thing that's going on here um, with Paul. I think he's, Timothy, he's really pointing out things that he, th that he wants to be important. And so, yeah, he comes over a little bit more stern than he would in the, in the letters. A little more intimate, too, I think. Yeah, he, you're right. I mean, some of the things he is very intimate, and, yeah. and he uh, wants Paul, uh, or he wants Timothy to know that the love that he has. And so right. he is, yeah. um, as we're called, to be uh, loving, and this is what he is trying to be, that example. And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight. So here, um, verse 1, it says, um, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, uh, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so as we see this, this, this uh, section of uh, scripture is called the great apostasy. Um, and I, I know we talked about this before when we were in Thessalonians. Um, but like you so said, the apostasy here that they're talking about, this is the abandonment from the faith. And these are people that are at one time followers, believers of Christ. Uh, maybe have kind of known uh, the Lord or accepted Christ, uh, but now they're denouncing. And this is, this is one of the things that they're going to uh, talk about. And, and Paul, he had already uh, had actually spoken about this um, to the Ephesians. And this comes from Acts 20, and we're going to read it. It's verses 28 through 30. I'm just going to jot over. And, and so these are some of the things that, that Paul uh, was warning um, the Ephesians about. Um, and now he's warning Timothy that the time is now, and this is what's happening now. And so I'll just read it. This is, comes from uh, uh, Acts um, chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. And it says, Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has come, or have made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
And so these are the things that Paul was already warning the church about. And we see now that this is exactly what's happening in this great apostasy. It's interesting that we're going to get into it a little bit. It's going to talk about when will these things take place. Um, and it's going to say here the latter times. But it's interesting that the latter times, this is happening in the time that, that Paul and Timothy, this is happening in their time. So we know that we're in 63, 64 A.D., and so this is happening in their time. And so there is still people, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so the time um, that it would say in the latter times, would, these things would come to pass. Um, this comes from 2 Timothy 3.1. It says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And, and I don't know, I don't, we don't need to turn on the TV to see that we are in perilous times as we are living out right now before us. And not only here in the United States, but I believe all over the world. Interesting um, I oftentimes, uh, I always see these quotes from Charles Spurgeon, and this one really caught my eye. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he spoke about this. He said, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that, that as we, oftentimes we talk about the word of God, um, that oftentimes that I've, I've actually uh, been at the church, and I've actually had people come and actually say something that they something that they didn't like about the church, that they were talking kind of negatively about the church. And, it, and they said that they wanted it to be, they should have more worship. And they should have, and it's interesting that, you know, when worship happens at the church and when it happens here, that worship isn't something that is for us. Worship is something we're worshiping the creator of the universe. It is for the Lord. And so we are crying out to God and we are, we are praising the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Um, and so it's interesting that oftentimes the churches now are taking the direction, oftentimes, and we're going to get into this false doctrine, that oftentimes the doctrines are getting, instead of them preaching the true word of God, they're actually getting to, into be churches that actually go around and they actually don't, don't preach the word of God, but they're there to entertain people. They're there to entertain. Oftentimes when uh, somebody, I, I meet people all the time, just like everybody does, but oftentimes, I oftentimes they, they tell me they go to church, and I say, oh, that's very good. Did you go to church? And this is one of the things that I ask them that kind of, and, and, and really, this is coming to give me the understanding that we are some blessed people if we go to a church that they read the Word of God. That we are very blessed that we have a church because there's so many people come that I'll ask them. I said, oh, you go to this church, and it could be whatever. It, there's been so many different uh, denominations that have come, and they say they go to this church. And I oftentimes I ask them, what book are you guys in? What book of the Bible are you guys in? And they say, oh, we don't, we don't read books. We don't read books of the Bible. We don't read books of the Bible. Our church is a little different. We don't do that. And so, you know, this is, this is where we need to be careful and stuff. So the foundational truths of God, this is where, and we, we are a blessed people because there is so many, not only here in Redlands, but throughout in Southern California, there's so many people uh, that go to church and they oftentimes they, they're, not, they're not getting the word of God. Um, but what this has reminded me of is that it, it oftentimes reminded me it would be like, you know, me inviting all of us as a Bible study saying, hey, we're going to go out to a buffet. I'm going to pay. Let's all go. And we all gather there and I show you guys around and I go take you guys in the back. I know the people that work there and I have you show them how they make the food. I, I, I show them how they, you know, they prepare it. I, you know, we, they, they put it in, in, you know, and actually in the plates and we get it out to the plates and it gets to the thing. And I say, OK, that's it. We're, we're leaving. And, we, and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, can't, if we're in a hurry, can we immediately get a little salad bar? Can't we get something like that? And I say, no, no, it's time to go. And this is exactly what happens when we go. There are people that have their hearts open to receive Christ, and they go to church, and they don't hear the word of God. And this is where, like you said, though, we, we need to be fed. And this is the thing that you know that I oftentimes quote this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. 
that we, you know, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And, and I was like everybody else. I was trying to fill that hole with things, with things of the world. I was, you know, living a life that was trying to fill it with things. But I came to the realization the only thing that can really fill that void in my life is Jesus, is God, is, is God. And so it's so important that we know those things. And so we see as, as we were, as the, uh, the latter times are coming. But it's interesting to see that that time was prevalent in their time too. Uh, departing from the faith. Um, this, this first verse, I have a lot of things in it, and so I, I don't want to drag out to tonight's study, but there's so many things here. I don't want to pass it up. Uh, depart from the faith. We talked about people that once knew uh, God and they walked away, once were believers um, and walked away. Um, Pastor Chuck Smith um, talked about a man, and some of you might know him. His name is Charles Templeton. Um, he was an evangelist in the 40s and 50s, a mighty man of God. They say he was a man that preached the word of God. Um, but if you don't know, there was a, a TV show that came out not in probably 2000 um, that talked about his walking away from his relationship with God. And he actually wrote a book about it, and the book was called Farewell to God. And what the book doesn't tell you and what nothing else, uh, the, the story that came out on TV and, and the little articles that they printed in the newspaper, they made a big thing. They made more of the thing of him walking away from God than they did about him being a believer. Um, and one of the things, and what's interesting about him is he actually preached with the Billy Graham crusade. He was with Billy Graham in the crusade. And, and Billy Graham actually quoted, said that he thought that at one time that, that this Charles Templeton might even take over when he, certain cities he couldn't go to, he was thinking about having him fill in. And so this was a mighty man of God. Um, but what's interesting, what, what the story doesn't tell you is that this Charles Templeton later on, he had a, an, a, an a, he had an affair, an extra, an affair outside of his marriage. And this is the, one of the reasons leading up to him saying farewell to God. And what's interesting, what, what, when I was listening to this, as I was studying for this, what's interesting is that this is exactly what happened to David. We remember that we go back to the Old Testament and King David. This is exactly what happened that he, when they brought his sin right before him, Nathan the prophet said uh, that it was you, you are that man. And as he pointed out to David, David, he had a choice. He was the king. At that time, he could have said, Nathan, he could have told his servants, kill this, this man. He Kill him, right? He was the king. But what did he do? That conviction convicted his heart. And he knew that he wanted to renew his relationship with God. And so what he did is he said, against you, Lord, and only you have I sinned. And he confessed his sin. And we all know the story that the Lord forgave him for what he had done. But this is the interesting thing about this Charles Templeton. He actually chose, instead of actually choosing the choice of going down the road and asking for forgiveness and asking the Lord to forgive him, he chose the life to say goodbye to God. And it's interesting to see that a man that would know the truths of God would walk away. But these are the things that the Bible talks about who will come um, in the end. And this is the latter times. Uh, but I thought this story was interesting. Uh, one of the things that deceiving spirits, um, this is where the enemy works. Um, this is where he tends to deceive us. Uh, one of the things I want to bring up um, that we remember that, and I don't want to drag this out too much, but in the book of Acts, uh, we remember that the church was being birthed, right, in the book of Acts as the, as the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And we remember that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Well, we remember that, that persecution came upon the church. Persecution came upon the church. And we're going to see that Caesar Nero here with Paul, we're going to see in a few years he's going to be beheaded. And we're going to see that persecution is coming in the church. And persecution is still prevalent today. A lot of times people come to the church and they say, hey, we're being persecuted because we have to have church outside. Well, we're not really being persecuted because we're having to have church outside. There's people that are actually persecuted in the world for their faith that are actually beheaded. Things are still going on in the world. 
But it's interesting that the enemy took the approach that as he was persecuting the church, the church was growing. We remember that in Pentecost there was 120, then there was 3,000, then the next thing there were 6,000. The church was growing by astronomical numbers, and, and the enemy, Satan, all he wanted to do was persecute the church. Go ahead, Mark. So I want to just give you a couple of quick historical things, too, about Templeton. Okay. So Forest Home actually is a very, very um, crucial spot for the, pre, the, the preview of Graham starting his crusades in L.A. Mm -hmm. in 1949. So Templeton and Graham were very close friends. They were at a pastor's conference at Forest Home in that, earlier in 1949, and it was in the like March time, March, April time. And the, the word that Templeton was giving Graham was that this was not trustworthy. There were flaws in it. It couldn't be completely accurate. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you can't preach it as absolute mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. So our founder of Forest Home actually met with Graham that night, uh, a, a lady who has multiple PhDs in biblical studies, a very, very smart woman who really had this conversation with Graham and said, oh my gosh, no, uh, I'm going to show you, I'm going to walk you through exactly how this word is the absolute inspired truth, truth of God. And that evening, on a Saturday evening, that is the story when Graham went out into the forest at Forest Home and said, had that prayer time. He said, God, if, if this is really the truth, then I want to accept it as being able to preach it as the absolute truth. Two weeks later is when he began uh, the Crusades in LA. Now that there were other places that he was still doing Crusades before that, but that was the turning point for him yes. that launched him into the ministry that we know for so many years that he had, and uh, and that turning point happened on the grounds at Forest Home. Forest Home, yes, mm -hmm. amen, amen. And the mm -hmm. world, so, the world has changed, yes. And it's interesting, like you said, though, and to have a man, like you said, I'm glad you brought it up, that was so close, like you said, to Billy Graham, so close. But like you said, though, it's interesting to hear that story, that background story about him um, actually thinking that it was, it was, it was something was wrong with the Word of God. Yes, there was something. But no, thank you for sharing that with yeah. us, Mark. It's important. But one of the things, as we see, as the church was being persecuted, that the enemy said, well, if I can't beat them, I'll join them. And this is exactly what we're seeing today as false doctrine has come, as, as the enemy has come into the church and has actually started, we see all no religions. And we talked a little bit about them last week, about some of the religions that are actually, they'll go all the way with you, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that Jesus Christ is everything on the list, but they say that he is not God, the incarnated God. And this is where we draw the line, because we know that, that God in the flesh, this is the reason why Emmanuel is so important, that we see that God with us. And so this is one of the things that uh, was going on uh, in the early church. And as it was uh, being persecuted, we see that uh, the enemy joined them. And this is what we see today. And so the last thing is that the doctrines of demons, and we're going to see a couple of those. Uh, but this is the only time that it's mentioned in these pastoral letters here. And so verse 2, it says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Um, speaking lies and hypocrisy... Um, 
you know, they're preaching one thing and actually saying another. Um, actually, hypocrisy comes from the word hypocrite, which means to be a stage actor, that they put on masks. We remember we talked a little about that masks. And interesting, that's what's going on in the churches today that don't preach the word of God, that oftentimes they give you that really good um, feeling that there is something, that they, they have this kind of a brotherhood, a, a, a feeling that they draw you in, they make you feel loved. Uh, but what's interesting is that, that is not the love of Christ. Um, that's a love that they, that this is that hypocrisy that they talk about. And many, many religions today, we need to be careful because many of them use the same, very same words. They say that they're Christians. They say that that's the first thing they'll say to you. Hey, I'm a Christian. Oh, really? I'm a Christian. No, I've had a niece that uh, went to church and she said it was cheap therapy. And that's what a lot of churches are really providing. Yes. It's just. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And it won't, like you said, though, but we need, like you said, the work you're living in the times, I believe, today, um, that we need that foundational truth of Jesus Christ. And, and, we, and the reason why we need it so desperately, and, and I know a lot of us in this room, we probably think, well, we know Jesus, right? We know Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. We understand that. But there's a world out there. And so through us, this is, this is the, you know, and, and we really think about the Bible that, that God, you know, he was God, of course, but he chose 12 disciples, 12 ordinary men. They changed the world. They changed the world. We're still speaking about them today. And so, you know, don't, don't ever think that God can't use us. God will use us. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the hypocrisy and this, this conscious being seared, uh, the word uh, seared here is the, where we get the word uh, uh, cauterize. And so there's talking about the burning of it. And this is what actually is going on today. Is, and, and this has been going on with Satan for a long time. I'm, I'm sure that you men are, are aware of it. Um, that in the television, we see in the television, the internet, on our telephones, we see that oftentimes that things, lifestyles are being portrayed to us, and it makes us numb to the things that are going on. And then pretty soon, we're, we're, we don't even, we don't bat an eye. At one time, we would look at it and we'd say, hey, that, what, what's going on here? But now, you know, they, they're trying to make it part of the norm. And so that's what, what it is. It's like you said, though, that after a while, your, your conscience, you know, your conscience becomes seared if they just progressively walk in that same lifestyle. And that same lifestyle. And this is what was going on here. That these, these men came along in the church. And they were at the great apostasy. And they were, they were leading people out of the church. And this is what uh, Paul is warning them about. And here's two of those things that he is actually going to forbid them. He said forbidding to marry. Um, in verse 3 it says forbidding to marry. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Forbidding to marry. Um. This is one of the things that was going on in their time, and they thought they could use it as a way to people to get closer to God. They would actually tell people um, that they could not marry so they could have a relationship with God. But we remember that in Genesis, it was here in Genesis 2, uh, 24, that God instituted marriage, right? That God instituted marriage. He said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. And, and interestingly enough, that this actually came before the fall. God instituted marriage before the fall. And so anybody that would come and say that we forbid, God forbids you to get married so you can have a closer relationship is going against what God, is going against what the actual the foundational truths of God said. He instituted marriage. And the same thing is, is, is here with food. And we're going to talk a little bit more about food as we go ahead here. So in verse 4 it says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Uh, verse 5, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. It's interesting as they talk about marriage and they talk about food, 
Um, it brings me to Matthew 15, 11 that says, it's not what goes into a man's uh, mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his mouth that defiles us. And, and it's interesting because we, we, we remember in James that he talked about, in the book of James, he talked about the tongue, right? Taming the tongue. And, it's, and if any of you have been married for any period of time, it's oftentimes this is the hardest thing to tame. And I think they, <laughs> they knew this all along. And sometimes we catch ourselves in so much trouble. We speak out of turn and we say things that we shouldn't say. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, this is what he said. He said that the, the same spring shouldn't spew forth, uh, you know, it couldn't spew forth bitter water and spring water, clear, uh, clear water at the same. And that's the same thing he said. We can't curse men and then actually, you know, glorify our father with the same, through the same fountain. And this is interesting because this is what, one of the things that defiles it because out of the heart, right, the, the, the mouth speaks, right? It's out of the heart. And this is who we truly are. And so this is what he's encouraged them not to. Um, and we also remember that the, in the book of Acts, um, in, in chapter 10, uh, verses 13 and 15, uh, they talked about, um, they remember that God said, uh, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Remember, and he's told them that, he said, not, not, not so, Lord. And he didn't, he wanted to eat it. He didn't want to eat it. I don't know if any of you, but when we went to uh, Israel, um, one of the places is Simon the Tanner's house. Um, we actually went and we stood before there in Joppa. Um, and it was amazing, and they believed that to be his house. I mean, I guess they don't know 100% sure, but they believe it. But what's interesting that on the balcony there, they said that that's where that actually blanket came down with all the animals on it. And they said that, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And remember that he said, not, no, Lord. He said, you know, he actually said, no, Lord. And he said he had never eaten anything unclean. And he said, you must not call anything that the Lord has sanctified, not call it clean or not call it common. And we all knew that later on this is going to lead to the to the first Gentile, uh, Cornelius, being converted. Uh, but it's interesting to see that the food... But Peter, like you said, though, he was so stuck in his, uh, in his religious background, in his Jewish, that he, it took him three times. The Lord had to tell him three times. And, and this is, you know, this is the reason why God puts these things in the Bible, because I think there's oftentimes that um, God has to talk to me more than once. He oftentimes, <laughs> he has to talk to me much more than once, and even more than three times sometimes. Uh, but it's through his love. But... Uh, I just love that there about the food. So we should not, not abstain from anything that the Lord has called us. There was a marriage there. And I think we all know, I, I grew up in a church um, that, that actually, that, you know, there were priests and the priests were not allowed to get married. Um, and it's interesting that as I was reading this, I was interesting to think about, I, I was wondering, I wonder if they read this and they see this and they see in God's word, this is, this is what it's actually telling them, that no, marriage, you can get married. It isn't anything wrong with being married. And one of the things that uh, also too about the food, I remember as growing up as being a Catholic, I didn't even know why I was a kid. When I was a kid growing up, I don't even know why. But but when a, a Lent came right, tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. And so as tomorrow's Ash Wednesday, I know that they would often say, hey, every Friday you can't eat meat. You cannot eat meat. You're absolutely forbidden to eat meat. And so it's interesting to think that we think that we can get closer to God or we think that we can actually you know, do things for God and that we're going to win favor with him. And now we're going to be in, in a position where we're going to say, no, God kind of owes us now because we didn't eat meat on these Fridays. Uh, we, you know, maybe some of them didn't get married, but we can't earn it. We remember it's the grace of God, right? It is the grace. And so we go to a church that, that preach grace. And so it's just so amazing to see. So here in verse 6, it says, um, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. You know, this is one of the things that, that uh, Paul is instructing Timothy here. To be a good minister um, is to be a servant. Um, and so he's telling him that, um, that he needs to be in, the, in word, 
and, and in faith um, in the good doctrine. And it's so important for us to have the good doctrine. Um, but this is, you know, it's, it's another thing as we talked about as we opened up the Bible study today, talking about going to a church that they preach the word of God out of the Bible. Um, and so I, I think it's very important. Um, but one of the things that I see that, you know, if we were going to go to school or if we were, they were um, going to actually, if we were hired at a bank and we were going to be a bank teller, this is interesting to me, um, that a bank teller, that they, they, they do everything, they get the tellers and they start training them. And the first thing they do to them is they start, they start giving them currency. They start handing out currency to them and they want them to become very familiar with that currency. They want them to feel it. They want them to touch it. They want them to be around it constantly. And so they're taking in, so they're living, eating, breathing currency all day long. And this is how they're learning. And they're learning the, the color of the paper. The, they actually have a, a shifting ink as you turn it. The bills different ways. It, it shifts, the ink shifts. They learn that very well. Watermarks, they should learn where they're at. Um, there's race printing on the, on the actual currency that they look at very carefully. Um, there's a security thread in many of them, and they hold it up to the light, and they look at them. Um, the ultraviolet glow, they put it underneath the light, and they show them. How, this is how you can tell it's real. Um, they talk about the red and blue threads that are in it, the serial numbers, the paper, all the things that they do. And this is what they take them through, and the tellers, and they take them. And then later on, what they do is they actually so they put in a couple of counterfeit bills. And after they've been doing this for a couple of months, they slip in a couple of counterfeit bills. And right away, the people are, are receiving money and they're, they're interacting like if they're having a customer and the person's handing them money. As they're counting it, all, all of a sudden, they're not even looking at it. They're taking it and they're putting it off to the side. They're taking it and putting it off to the side because they recognize the counterfeit. Because they can, because they've been interact, and this is what we, we should be doing as we spend time in the Word of God, and if we get the truth of the gospel, when somebody comes and they tells us something that is not real, that is counterfeit, all of a sudden it becomes relevant to us. We can see it, we can point it out, and oftentimes Pastor Ed has talked about this. We have this baloney meter that God gives us, and all of a sudden they 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 talk about they talk about the Word of God, and everything sounds kind of okay. But there's something, there's something wrong. You pick up on it, and this is that counterfeit. And so as we spend time in the Word of God, it's interesting to see as we spend time in the God that He will give us that baloney mirror, and we will understand that that is not true. And so this is where we're to be. So in verse 7 it says, But reject profane and old wise fables, and exercise yourselves towards godliness. And so he's saying that we're not to take the time to actually go through these fables and actually learn about them, try to understand them. We're supposed to understand the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.16 says, But shun profane and idle babblings, uh, for they will increase um, to move uh, to more ungodliness. And so this is the things that want to draw us away from God. And so we're not supposed to get involved in all these old wife fables. And oftentimes when I grew up as kids, I mean, you them. Uh, my grandmother and, and way back, way back, they would have these old fables that they would talk about that, oh yeah, God didn't want you to do this or didn't want you to do that and don't jump on the bed because this will happen and they say, you know, we all remember as kids, if you looked in the mirror and if you said these crazy words that, that a demon would come, we don't need to involve ourselves in any of those things. We need to involve ourselves in the truth of God and godliness. Um, and this is where we're supposed to surround ourselves with. So here in verse 8 it says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. And so we see that the bodily exercise, and this is interesting because, you know, the, before they close all the gyms down, 
Um, oftentimes when I would go to church on Sunday, 24 hour fitness is on the corner. And when I, it's interesting at eight o'clock, I usually go to eight o'clock service. And a lot of times on a Sunday, a lot of people have a hard time getting up eight o'clock in the morning. But it's interesting when I used to drive by that the parking lot would be full at 24 hour fitness. It would be full. The place would be packed. You couldn't get a parking spot. People would be get up early morning. I think it opens at six o'clock in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays or used to before COVID. Uh, but it's interesting that people will go, but that bodily exercise is only temporary. And, and there's nothing, the Bible does talk about that it is, it is temporarily, it, it is helpful. And so this, don't, don't take this to your doctor, you guys, and, and tell your doctor like, hey, I don't have to work out anymore because, you know, the Bible says that it only, it only profits me a little bit. No, it, it does profit us. Uh, but what it's talking about, it's saying that their godliness is profitable um, now and it's profitable eternally. And this is um, what he's talking about godliness here is he's talking about spending time in the word, sharing the gospel with others, um, you know, actually being a, a godly man, what God has called us to be. And so these are some of the things that uh, God has called us. So here in verse nine, it says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. This is a powerful verse here in verse 10. Um, it says, first of all, it says that for this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. Um, I think once you, if you've been in the world and, and you come to know Christ, uh, and even if, you, if, you've been, if you've known Christ all your life, uh, when other people know that you are a follower, it will cost you something. It will, it will cost each and every one of us something. Uh, that the world, we live in a world that there was a time um, that oftentimes when you told people that you were a follower of Christ, that they would uphold those things as being a thing that's very uh, righteous, a thing that's very right, and that those are the kind of people they wanted around. But today, it seems like we live in a world where we tell people that you're a believer, and they're all of a sudden they say, uh-oh, you're one of those, huh? You're a Jesus freak, right? You're a Jesus freak. But we, we're to know that we're to live in godliness, and it'll cost us something. It's interesting, I, I worked for 20 years for a company, um, and I'll just share this with you. I, I don't want to give out anybody's name, but... It's interesting, one time in a meeting, I was having a, a, a conversation. It was a, a two-person conversation, and it was one of my superiors um, uh, that was a, um, actually my boss. And we got into this conversation, and I don't know what it came up. It was something like, well, yeah, well, God doesn't, wouldn't allow those kind of things to happen. I think that was how the conversation went. And the next thing happens is they jumped up out of their seat, and they said, come with me. And they marched me into human resources. And I get into human resources. And the lady of human resources was talking on the phone. They busted down the door, didn't care who she was talking to, sat down, told me to sit down. And as soon as she hung up the phone, she said, tell Mike that he's not allowed to talk about God at work. Tell him right now. And I didn't, I was just so, it was so weird the way that it happened that I didn't even believe what was going on. I was like, this didn't really happen. I mean, there wasn't anything. But later on, I come to realize that it was conviction. It's conviction that convicts people. It isn't us. It is, the, it is what it convicts us. And, and really the conscience of the people, this is where, where they're supposed to be. But they want to, instead of them actually, it, it talks about this in the Bible, right? That men love the darkness, right? They want to stay in the darkness. And anything that tells them that there is, that there is light, they say, no, no, they want to stay in the darkness. And this is that conviction that came. And it's just interesting, as I was studying for this, this, this is what it, what it reminded me of. Um, as it came, that this person would come out and drag me in there. Um, but one of the things that I love about this verse um, that it talked about, that it said that, uh, that the, the Savior of all men, 
And we see that Jesus is the Savior of all men. Jesus died not only for us as believers, but he died for the sins of the world. John 3.17 said, For God, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him they might be saved. And we see that in John 3.18 it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only begotten Son. And so we see that there isn't any sins, um, this is, we should make very clear tonight, that there isn't a sin that we have done, each and anybody in the world, that God wouldn't forgive them. The only sin that would keep them out of heaven was be denying Jesus and who he is. And saying that I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or I don't believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so this is the only thing. And so we're to, as men, we're to go out and tell people, because I meet people all the time that says, you don't know me. You don't know the things that I've done. Uh, you don't know what I have in my past. And it's truthfully, I tell them I don't. But God does. And he will forgive you of those things if we will confess. If we will say the same thing that God said, we will confess those sins. He will accept us. And he will, he will wash us clean. The blood of Jesus is available to all of us. And so it's very important that we need to tell people that. And so here in verse 11, it says, These things command and teach. Paul is just telling Timothy there that he needs to command and teach them uh, as us as being ministers or servants, uh, which we are. We are today to teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here in verse 12, it says, Let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It's interesting that one of the things that, um, that Paul is talking to Timothy about is not to let them despise you because of your youth. We remember that as uh, Paul came on his second missionary journey and took Timothy with him, he was between the ages of 13 and 15. And so this is now 15 years later. And so approximately Timothy at this time is somewhere between 28 and 30 years old. Um, the word used here uh, in the Greek means a man under 40. Um, and so they do believe he is young, uh, but Paul is telling him that not to uh, allow them to uh, despise them because he is so young. And interesting what he tells them, he said to be an example um, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He gives them six reasons. And this is what we're to be, uh, what actually as Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying that your witness speaks louder than your words. And this is for us today, that our witness speaks louder than our words. Oftentimes we can tell people about Jesus, but it's them at a distance when we're, they're not, we don't know that they're looking, it's, they're looking to see if they can see Jesus in us. It's so important that they would see Jesus in us, in our walk. Uh, and so... We, we see that there, and, and, and Paul, like he said, though, he wanted Timothy uh, to see those things. So 13, it says, Till I come, give attention to reading, uh, to exhortation, to doctrine. Um, he's just telling him to make sure that he stays in the Word of God. It's very important that each and every one of us that daily stay in the Word of God. There are so many things that are going on. Uh, we should make it, if it's not already, part of our daily routine to spend time in the Word of God. Here in verse 14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on ha of hands by the eldership. And so Romans uh, 12, 6 says that we've all been given a gift by God. Each and every person in this room has been given a gift by God. If you don't know what your gift is, ask the Lord. 
to reveal it to you. He will reveal your gift. But we need to know that we need to use those gifts. And this is what um, Paul is telling Timothy here, that he needs to not let those gifts go to waste. He needs to use those gifts. And each and every one of us needs to use the gift that God has given each and every one of us. It's so important that we would use those gifts. So here in verse 15, it says, Meditate on these things. Um, give yourselves entirely to them um, that your progress may be evident to all. And so once again, he's very, he's, we're called to be known by our fruit, that it would be evident to all, that all the world would see our fruit. And that comes from Matthew 7, um, 20, that we are to be known by our fruit. And so this is what Paul is telling him here. So in verse 16, it says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. And I love the way that, that he closes the, the letter here, and he's telling him that by leading others away from false doctrine, by leading them away from false doctrine, is this is how that you're going to save yourself, and this is how you're going to save others. It's the word of God that saves them, and this is what Paul is telling Timothy to give them the word of God. Close tonight with a, with a story, um, a very powerful story, um, and it talks about a man who was stuck in a blizzard. Uh, and this man was, was in this blizzard for a few days, uh, he was anticipating that the, the blizzard would die down, and it still hadn't, and he had been already a few days since he had eaten. And so he's starting to lose his strength, and he finally, after the fourth day, he decides if, if the, the blizzard doesn't go down, I'm going to have to go. And he knows that his, uh, his neighbor is approximately a half a mile away, but what he's concerned about is he said it is such a blizzard and the wind is blowing so hard that he knows that he's been out in it before. He, he's going to become disoriented and he's not going to know where he's going. And so as he heads out and he gathers as many uh, jackets as he can and tries to prepare himself for the blizzard, he says, I'm either going to starve to death here or I'm going to go out and look and see if I can reach my neighbor's house and hopefully they have more um, you know, food there. And so as he, as he sets out, he, as, as we're walking out of a house, we, we look for the house, and he's constantly looking back at the house, trying to say his direction, because he, that's what he's using to tell the direction that he's going. But it's not after a, a few, feet, few feet that he walks out that he, pretty soon the house light starts to dim, and he, they disappear, and he can't see them. And so he goes in the direction that he thinks that is the neighbor's house, and he's walking along, walking along for quite some time. And he's starting to get concerned now because he's starting to really lose his energy. And he's, he's starting to feel very tired. And they say when you're freezing, um, that that's one of the things that hypothermia starts to, to come on. And the first thing you want to do is you get come very tired. And you want, you're looking for a place to lay down. And, and once you lay down, it's pretty much it's over. You get frostbitten and it's pretty much over. And so as he was struggling and contemplating if he was going to lay down or if he was going to find a spot, <coughs> he was still concerned and just worried about what he was going to do. And... Right before he was getting ready to find a spot to lie down, he stumbled upon something. And he reached down, and he didn't know what it was. And as he reached down, it was a person. It was a person that was laying down that he stumbled over that had also gone out in the blizzard. And he reached down and felt for his pulse. And he found out that he did have a pulse. And so that invigorated him. And so he grabbed this person, and he tried to put him over his shoulder, but he was too heavy. <laughs> And so he actually got him and he started like a kind of a bear hug and he started to drag him in the direction 
that he thought he was going. And he still is in despair, not knowing if he's dragging him. And he's thinking to himself, I, 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 I thought I was going to die out here myself. And now I'm trying to save somebody. And so he's dragging this person. But as he's dragging, he's using a lot more energy. And this is causing his, his temperature to go up. And he's starting to get heated up as he's starting to drag this man along. And as, his, as he starts to drag him on a little farther, he sees the light in the distance. And it's his neighbor's house. And so he's so excited that he drags him all the way to his neighbor's house and he, in turn, he puts him up on the porch and he goes inside and he calls the lady that lived in the house and she came out and you see that the lady was saved or the man was saved by the neighbor and also saved by himself. But you see, by helping others, by reaching out and helping someone else, in turn, he saved himself. And this is exactly what Paul was talking to Timothy about by sharing the word of Christ with others that not only will we be saved, but others will be saved through it. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. So, Father God, we thank you for your word tonight, Father. We thank you for your loving goodness to each and every one of us. We ask, Father, that, uh, that you would go before us this week, Father. Help us to see others um, in your eyes, Father. Help us um, not to see them through our eyes. Lord, we, uh, we love you and we thank you for this study. We pray all of these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Michael. Hey, everybody.